and That's the full cool. presentation the first time, and That's now cool. it's on our platform. Good for you. Uh, yeah, it was like. That's <laughs> cool. Yeah, I, I just haven't done done one yet. I'm, I've been doing some other right. stuff. So yeah, I swap them back and forth. Yeah. All right, so I'm using this though, right? So, yep. so if you when I come up, can I just I can maybe pull this back a little bit so it's not. You can do what, yeah, whatever you want to do, man. Yeah, probably. Put it back away. Well, but like I said, they'll be using that for the song service it. and stuff. I'm using it. I'm I'll be fine. Yeah. I'm, I got a loud enough voice. I just don't want to end up hitting it, you know. But you can go. Fine. You can do whatever you want to do. Okay. Uh, let's get to the sound check real quick. All right. So do you want me to just uh, read one of my verses or something, just in the? Um, I guess I was going to use verses tonight. What is your text? Uh, <laughs> uh, my text is James one twelve through seventeen. You are, is it already put that up on the Oh, screen? yeah, yeah. James what? James 1, 12 through 17. We'll throw that in there then. Just keep talking. Yeah, let me get that verse pulled up real quick. Yeah, I'll, I'll change it tonight in this one. <laughs> All right, so blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he's tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say, when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. How is it up here for you? Sounds good up here. We're good. Yep. We're all set. All right. um, but yeah, I, uh, when I got that, I was like, you know, it's weird because I've got Brother Sheffield's old pulpit too. Even though technically that pulpit was not his, we got that after he retired, but he's too. preached in it but many times. It. Yeah. it was the one he had had no wings on it, it just went straight down. Yeah. This one is exactly the same, but had wings. And this pastor preached for me one day, or he, he was a retired pastor, and he said, My, the church I pastored is getting shut down, and the bank's coming in and taking everything. And they said, they have a list, a pulpit, so many pews. So they said, if you want to come swap out the pulpits, they won't you can have a better pulpit. Yeah. And I was like, okay. So I came and we swapped cool. it out. I, looking back, I kind of wish I hadn't, just because it was sentimental. The older I get, the more sentimental I get about things. Yeah. But I have so many other things with Brother Sheffield's there at the church, obviously being the church that he was at. So, um,
It's good to be back. Uh, Pastor Brian, we had some conversations earlier about my memory and uh, how I remember things really well, except where I put my keys and my phone and stuff. But uh, he, his memory's not as good, so he doesn't remember. I wasn't that good of a youth pastor. Uh, 
I was a friend of his, and I appreciate my time working here, but looking back, I'm thinking, man, he should have fired me uh, very early on, and uh, I would have. Uh, if I get a youth pastor like I was, I will fire him uh, very quickly. And uh, no, I, I really enjoyed my time here. It was only, uh, I think we're here less than two years. Uh, we came from a situation, uh, we, I was a youth pastor in northern Indiana, then moved here, and uh, man, I walked in, and I remember uh, somebody told me, they said, you know, you, when, you, when you're looking for a church to, to work at, you need to know a little bit about what you're walking into, and so find out, you know, why'd the last guy leave? And uh, I didn't ask that question on the job I was at before I came here, and that was a mistake, so I came here, and I thought, oh man, this is going to be easy, like the former youth pastor is still here. The church is growing. It's moving into a new uh, position for him. He's going to be the associate pastor. This will be such an easy transition. I'm here for two months and the pastor resigns. And it was like, what did I do? I see, told you, I was a bad youth pastor. And uh, two months, and he was like, I'm out of here. No, uh, but no, we really enjoyed our two years here. And uh, of course, it's easy to remember things. I, I was thinking earlier, why, why, why are so many of these memories so fresh in my head? And then I started thinking about Eric Lennon on like, you have no clue how many times I've used that guy as a sermon illustration. And so they just, those memories stay fresh in my mind uh, that way. And so um, I'll, I'll share the same illustrations this week, I'm sure. But I'll just say, there was a guy uh, that I once knew, and you'll know, it's Eric. Uh, now, uh, no, I was glad to see that they're here at least tonight. Uh, he told me they're leaving tomorrow, so this better be good. That's what he told me. Um, uh, this is my one shot at him uh, this week. And I uh, got to give it all I can. I want to do, introduce my family. Of course, most of you that are, that are familiar with our family at all, you knew Caleb and Faith. Uh, that was the two children we had uh, while we were uh, on staff here. And Caleb is, uh, he actually preached for me last night. He's graduated from Vision Baptist College and is back at our church uh, with us. And he's uh, been teaching through the book of Nehemiah. It's been great to watch him uh, grow as he's been doing that through Wednesday nights. And uh, I now also work at a high school and so it's been nice having him do the Wednesday nights. That helps me a little bit with that. Uh, and then our daughter Faith is at Vision Baptist College, which is right outside of Philadelphia uh, there in New Jersey. And so she's in her, uh, I think, third semester there. Or is it her fifth semester? Fourth semester. I don't know. She's, she's not in my house. That's all I know. And uh, so she's there in college. And then our oldest at-home child, Tristan, he, is, he stayed back. They had uh, some basketball games, the last games of the season he didn't want to miss, and so we let him go ahead and stay back for that. And then we have uh, our uh, 15-year-old, getting ready to be 15-year-old son, James, uh, here with us. And then Kara, um, she'll tell you she's the favorite, and, um, well, just my favorite. And uh, the last one is Don's favorite. We always, the kids will always say, oh, the, the, the last two, they're the favorites. I always just say, Shay, she's like our exclamation point. You know, the exclamation point, it comes at the end, but with energy. She's the last child, uh, and she's got the energy. Uh, first thing she said was, do we have to go up there when you introduce us? And uh, I said, no, and she, she was excited about that, but she'd come up here, and she would ham it up, I'm sure, uh, for sure. We're in the book of James uh, tonight, James chapter 1. And as I said, I'm, I'm excited to be back. I, uh, I'm telling you, I'm, I want to applaud you. If we had this much snow in southern Indiana, we'd be off school, we'd be out of church, we'd, uh, we'd probably just cancel the whole revival with this much snow down there. We just don't get uh, snow very often, and uh, people just do not know how to drive on it very well, and uh, they don't have very many plows out running a lot of times, and uh, it just makes it a lot more difficult. But uh, as I began a few weeks ago to really hone in and begin to pray about this week and what God would want me to preach. I'm looking around the room. Most of you, I don't recognize you. I don't know who you are. Uh, I did not talk to Pastor Blount and say, hey, tell me what you would like me to preach on. In fact, I thought he had told me what to preach on. And then I talked to him a few weeks ago and he said, no, that's not, uh, we don't have a specific theme. You can do whatever you want, whatever the Lord leads you to do. And I said, okay, good, because I was really struggling with what I thought you told me to preach on. And uh, I thought he told me to preach on stewardship and lordship. And I was like, uh, he said, no, that's just that this is the month we're in. And I said, good, because I'll let you stick with that one then. And uh, so I really began to pray about it. And I thought, you know, Lord, I'm just going to ask you to give me the messages that the people need. And I'm, I've been trying to uh, kind of zero in on some messages, and as I have kind of come to these uh, different spots for each service throughout these next few days, 
Um, I don't know the circumstances of your life. I would say I'm, I've seen a theme begin to develop in these messages about uh, dealing with life, uh, just dealing with the struggles of life and how to do that, go through life and recognize and be honest with how life is, but then get our focus on the Lord and to really making sure that He is having the preeminence in our life. And I've, I've come to the realization, one thing I've been guilty of many times in my life is striving to make God my number one priority in my life. And over the last few years, I've realized that's really the wrong way to look at it. And that the way I've done this, and uh, I, I wish I had maybe a, a whiteboard or something to even illustrate it for you, is that sometimes we would know in our life, people say, well, what are your priorities? We know the right answer is say God, then family, then church, then my job. And we've got our list. But unfortunately, the way we live out our life is when we're, on, when we're focusing on number three on that list, maybe our church or maybe our family or maybe our job, we, we forget that the other priorities are still there. And so I've, I've known Christians over the years that are like, they're one way at church, but they're another way at work. Why? Because that meek and humble and all that stuff, that ain't going to work at my job site. I've got to be domineering and I've got to be, you know, in control of this and I've got to act this way or I, and I've got to maybe talk like some of the people at my work. Because why? Because that's, that's my work time. I've got my God time on Sunday and I've got my God time when I'm doing my Bible time. And what I've realized is our priorities are more like a wheel where the hub it is it, all the spokes that are coming off of it. That's all those other priorities. But the hub is God. And that I've, I've got to look at my job through my priority of giving Christ the preeminence. I've got to look at my, my schoolwork and through the lens of giving God the preeminence. I've got to look at my, my family as making sure I'm giving God the preeminence in my life. And, and over the years, I've noticed that many times we struggle with Keeping God in one area of our life and not giving Him the preeminence in all areas of our life. And that's kind of where a lot of our messages will take us through this week. And sometimes we're tempted to wander in this life and go through struggles and we go through trials and we go through hardships and we start to think, is following God, is living for God worth it? Sometimes it seems hard. Sometimes it seems confusing and not easy. And one of the things I love about the Bible is how honest the Bible is. It's honest about the people in the Bible and their struggles of faith, their struggles with sin. That Scripture doesn't avoid the hard question. It doesn't avoid the harsh realities of this fallen world that we're in. There's stories in the Bible of gra- that are graphically honest about the kinds of things that happen in this broken world. I mean, you start in Genesis. If you started your Bible reading a few months or a month and a half ago there in, in uh, January, you said, man, I'm going to start in Genesis, Genesis. And man, you're seeing in Genesis the creation of this world and how God said it's good. And then in a couple chapters, you see adultery and murder and all these things taking place in this fallen world. Sometimes in this scripture, we see people and their cries of faith. You get to Psalms and you see the psalmist continually writing out things like, How long, O Lord? How long will I have to endure? How long until you step in and do something? And one of the things I appreciate so much about specifically the book of James is that James seems to believe in what we'd say a sturdy gospel. He believes in the grace of God and that we don't uh, you know, have to deny and avoid and try to explain things away. We don't have to put on a fake smile and when we come to prayer and got to God and act like everything's okay when he knows it's not okay. And in fact, he's allowed it to not be okay so that we would come to him. He's, uh, Spurgeon said, I, I kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of Christ. I don't, know how, I don't know how he worded it, but it's somewhere in there. But the wave that throws us against that rock, we ought to be thankful for that wave. Thankful for those blessings that come in raindrops. Thankful for all those trials. And we can bring real questions and we can be honest and bring real struggles before God who is awesome in His grace and His patience and His wisdom. And we don't have to dress ourselves up and make ourselves acceptable to this God, recognizing that our goodness is not acceptable to Him. We come to Him because of His goodness. We can come as we are and we can bring our questions to Him. And sometimes as we go through life, we We get afflicted with questions. And that's kind of what I want to look at tonight. Some questions that we're sometimes afflicted with. What wanders into our mind when we think about our faith? And if or if we if we word it this way, if I could stand before God right now and say, God, here's something I don't understand. What what would that next question be? 
If you'd say, God, I just don't understand. Well, I want to look at James chapter 1 here, and I want to quickly read through the passage, and then we'll go back through and look at these things and see some questions that we sometimes ask. He says here, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he's tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he's tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust is conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. James really brings us uh, to these three profound questions I want to look at tonight. He's, he's answering the questions without having to ask the questions. And maybe the first one, you've been there before. When it comes to following the Lord, have you ever asked yourself, in maybe those weak moments, Lord, is it really worth it to obey? Is it worth it to obey God and do what He has said? You're trying so hard to serve God, and it seems like your reward is confusion, trial, suffering. Everybody's getting mad at you. Everybody's upset when, when you're just trying to follow God. I, I love in Psalms 73... As the psalmist is struggling with those same things. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do what God wants me to do. And I'm watching these wicked every day, wicked people every day. And they seem to be getting rewarded. And he uses a phrase, he says, verily, I've cleansed my heart in vain. He said, Why am I doing this? They're getting rewarded and they're not following God. Maybe you've been there before. Maybe you've been in those moments before. Saying, I've obeyed for this. So listen to these words. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life. James is talking about the trials and that key character quality that God is seeking to produce in us. You know what God is seeking to produce in us? Steadfastness. He's seeking to produce that in our life. Steadfastness means to have a fixed direction and a firmness of purpose. God is driving us to develop that character in us. And the principle I learned is God will take us where we haven't intended to go in order to produce in us what we could not achieve on our own. And there's things, you've been through things in your life and you said, if I'd known that was coming, I wouldn't have signed up for that. But then you look back and go, but I'm so glad I went through it. It's like we all, we all want to see God work in miraculous ways, but none of us want to ever need a miracle. We want it to be easy, but then watch Him work miracles in other people's life. We don't want Him to work miracles in our life because that means we needed one. That means we got desperate. But James adds... One more element to the discussion. He says, Blessed is man that endureth temptation. For when he's tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. And look, you cannot understand God's call to, to you without factoring in the fact that you're going to stand before God one day. And there are some crowns that he mentions, which tells us there's an eternity out ahead of us. So you can't think, uh, understand God's call if you don't factor in eternity. And that's what James is doing here. It is worth it to obey God because there's an eternity out there. Look, if, if all we have is the here and now and there was no such thing as eternity, then, then what is this game? The game is get everything you can right now. If there's no eternity, might as well just enjoy everything in this life and get whatever you can right now. Get everything you can in the moment. Because you can't take it with you. And so go after all the temporal and material and relational pleasures that you can find and make yourself the center of the universe. I mean, hey, you only live for a short time, might as well get all you can get. Now, James gives a very different view. It's a radical worldview that there is such a thing as eternity and that God has made this great promise to his children that as they live that steadfast, godly life, there as is, at the end of this life, the crown of life. There is an eternal reward that's going to last forever. The question is, do you believe that? There will be a day when everything you've suffered, every difficulty, every trial, every sadness, is going to pale in comparison to eternity. 
When you look at that life and you look at this life, it will pale in comparison. You're going to live there forever and ever and ever. This life is but a flash of moment. But it's hard to think of that when you're in the middle of the flash. When you're in the middle of this quick life, it doesn't always feel quick. Yesterday we were driving up here, my son James fell asleep and he wakes up and he's like, man, I love falling asleep in the van. It's like time travel. Like I go to sleep, there's like five hours left. I wake up, there's hardly any time left. Man, when you're you know, like, man, this is a short trip. It doesn't feel like a short trip when you're in the driver's seat. I'm not allowed to take naps. I've done that before driving. Not cool, okay? Uh, I remember one time uh, driving home and uh, I was coming through Indianapolis and all of a sudden I kind of blinked my eyes and I was like, I don't think I'm on the right interstate. I haven't really been paying that much attention for a while. I don't know how long I had been out of it, but I was at least in a lane. That was a good part. But I was like, I, I don't know when I quit paying attention, but I'm like 20 miles past where I was supposed to get off. I don't know if I just didn't see the sign or if I was half asleep or what, but I was still alive, thank the Lord. But I was like, man, that, you know, I've learned, don't fall asleep when you're in that seat. Uh, now, my wife, she'll always say, don't worry, I'll help you stay awake. And then 10 minutes later, she's asleep. Uh, <laughs> some of you men understand the pain. But it's hard for us to think like that. This life doesn't seem like a flash in the moment. Be honest, last week as you struggled through some difficulty in your life, it didn't seem like a flash. Sometimes you go through things and you go, man, is this ever going to be over? A couple years ago, I think my first or second year pastoring, uh, we, we had started up our van ministry, bus ministry. We didn't, hadn't had one of those yet and uh, so we started out, and we had these, these three kids that were coming pretty faithfully, but a lot of people in the church didn't know them real well. They were coming. They'd come to Sunday school and junior church, and they weren't in the sanctuary. We've changed things now where we get them in the sanctuary pretty frequently. But back then, a lot of the church folks didn't know who they were. And this little kid come in, and he, got, he like snuck free from junior church. And uh, he comes in the back door, and I'm preaching, and I'm seeing him looking around. He's kind of in bewilderment, doesn't know what's going on. And he just starts walking down the center aisle. And I keep thinking, well, I'll just keep preaching. Somebody will stop him. His name's Dwayne. I'm thinking, okay, somebody will get Dwayne here, and, and uh, they'll, they'll just get him back there to junior church. And they're all looking at him like, whose kid is that? Like, why is he just wandering around? And he gets right up about where this camera is right here, and just real loud, right there in the middle of my preaching, he decides, he goes, when's this thing going to be over? <laughs> and, and everybody was like, oh, I can't believe he said that. And I said, he just said what you were thinking, so don't look at him that way. He just had the guts to say it. You were all thinking it. Sometimes that's how we are in life. We're thinking, when's this thing going to be over? Man, I've, I've been dealing with this long enough. In those moments, we forget about eternity. We didn't say to ourselves during those moments, that's okay. I can just get through this because I'll be dead soon enough. My grandpa used to say that. Cheer up, we'll soon be dead. He would say that all the time. I think of that every year when I on the anniversary of his day of passing. I think, well, he got his, what he was wishing for there. But we don't think that in that moment. We don't think, well, you know, man, I, I really wish this situation, my wife or my, my spouse would, would, you know, we could get this right. And, you know, but yeah, I can endure these struggles because, hey, we're going to be in heaven for all of eternity. Some have probably thought, I'm going to help you get there really quickly. We struggle through life as sinners. Hey, that's okay. There's eternity. That's exactly what we need to do. We need to say, this is hard. Now, don't lie and say, oh, it's no big deal. It's, hey, I'm just, I'm too blessed to be stressed. You liar. While you're like, I'm too blessed to be stressed. No, admit, it's tough. It's hard. We all go through times where we weep. We all have times where we break, where... We, we struggle and understand while we're going there, yes, this is hard. And heaven's getting sweeter every day. We had a situation where we had a young man staying in our house for a while, and he told me one day, he said, how come all the old people at church, every time they sing specials, it's about heaven? I said, because it's like the next stop, okay? Like, back off, kid. You know, it's like, I said, the older we get, the more we know people over there. And the more we recognize that this life is Going downhill fast for us. Like, you know, I used to, uh, you know, 
fall on ice or whatever, I get right back up. Now I sleep wrong, I'm injured for two weeks, okay? Like, heaven is looking sweeter every day. But we need to remind ourselves during those trials that if I'll, I'll get up tomorrow, and maybe I can't stand, but I'll crawl on my knees of faith, and I'll press toward the mark, and even though I'm weak and confused, I know there's an eternity, and I know it'll be worth it all when we see Christ. That's a pastoral thing that James is doing to the people. He's not talking to people that are enduring great times. They're under great hardship, and he's writing to them, and they're suffering. And if there's an eternity, your suffering, your struggle, your trials are worth it. Your obedience is the best investment you can ever make. So weep to the Lord. He welcomes you to come to Him. But as you weep, Remember, there will be a moment when we'll weep no more. There'll be a moment those tears will be dried. There'll be a moment where we'll experience life as we've never experienced it as we see Him face to face. A crown of life. Never forget, there is an eternity. And then verse 13, we get to the idea of another question. He said, let no man say, when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. Second question, I don't know how else to phrase it, and I don't want to be irreverent, but the question comes to mind, and I've actually, I, I put it this way in my notes because I had a guy ask me one time, no, I'm sorry, that wasn't Eric, uh, another guy, actually what's weird is it is a guy named Eric, but it's not, I promise it's not that Eric, uh, it's an Eric in southern Indiana who asked me one time, is God just toying with me? Like I feel like he keeps putting me in these situations, and it's like he's a puppet master, and I'm just... I'm just there for his entertainment. And that's what he asked me in a moment of struggle and frustration and just brutal honesty. Is God toying with me? Is he setting me up? Maybe the God who calls me to be holy, the very God who speaks so strongly about sin, is putting me in situations of temptation. I mean, hey, he's in control. He controls my circumstances. If God is actually as good as he says he is, did he set me up? You ever feel set up? You ever feel like you're just walking into a trap? Or in the midst of times of struggle, doubted maybe the goodness of God. That song talked about, we doubt your goodness. There are times. I remember probably one of the lowest moments in my life, spiritually, as far as not, not of wickedness of sin or getting involved in anything like that, but just of, of just struggling. I have a, a sister, an older sister, who and she wanted to be a mom so bad. And for years she prayed to be a mom. And they said, no, you know, you, you just can't. Medically, you can't. And all of a sudden, at like 42 years old, she gets pregnant. And we're, we're so excited. And there was so, many, so much concern. Okay, that first trimester, it was so nerve-wracking, wondering what was going to happen. And she made it through that, and everything seemed good. And all of a sudden, she gets down, and they're like, hey, we're scheduling uh, the birth for next Thursday. They're going to induce. They're going to uh, take the baby. It was on a Thursday they were going to do that. And all of a sudden, Monday, she calls me, and she said, I need you to pray. Something ain't right. She said, I'm going to the doctor right now. Something ain't right. And they couldn't hear the heartbeat. Uh, something had happened. The baby had rolled over the wrong way in her, in her uh, womb there and like pinched the umbilical cord and the, uh, it, it like basically it starved itself to death. And she had a stillbirth. At 40 some years old, had prayed all this time. I remember driving to the hospital. I'm glad there's no microphone in my car. I was angry with God. I said, God, Why? Why let her go through all of this? Why, why let her get to a week before? Why, why go? I, I just I couldn't understand. I, and I'll never forget pulling in the hospital. I'm thinking, okay, I'm her brother. I'm a pastor. I've got to just get myself together and go in there and figure out something to say. I wasn't in the mood to say anything positive in that moment. Man, I was struggling at that moment, and God just, it was kind of like a nice little spiritual backhand from the Lord, where he said, do you remember what you preached yesterday? And I was like, I hate when he does this. 
use my own sermon against me. And the day before I had preached it, it's not my job to understand what God's doing. It's my job to respond correctly. So I tried to respond correctly. I faked it as best I could. And so I went in. I tried to say some of the right things. And my sister said, you know, uh, let, let's have a... She said, I know a lot of people were praying for me. A lot of people had been encouraging me. She said, why don't we have a funeral? So we had a funeral and the gospel was preached. And I think our church was as packed out as it has ever been. And I'll never forget my sister in the midst of all this struggle. She comes up to me and she said, you know, and again, one of my things was, Lord, why didn't you just take the baby in the first trimester? And my sister comes up to me and she says, you know, if the Lord had taken the baby in the first trimester, I wouldn't have done a funeral. And a lot of these people wouldn't have heard the gospel today. And she said, I'm so thankful that as much as I wish the baby was here, I'm so thankful that these people got to hear the gospel today. And you know, so many times she said, I'll, I'll see him again. She started to echo the words of David. He can't come where I am, but I can go where he is. And I'll see him one day. And what a, what a great way to, for her to look at that. I was still struggling, but it was a great help to me in getting over that. But you know, we go through things in life sometimes, and let's just be honest, we don't think in the midst of it, God, I'm so glad you're allowing me to have the fellowship of suffering with you. Sometimes we think, God, what is, what is wrong? You're in control. Why? If I, it's not like the unbelievers who think this is all chance. I know you're powerful. I know you're able. I know you're in control. So why is this happening? Notice what James does here. He makes a critical distinction which needs to be in our thinking as well. It's specifically talking about temptation to sin. God will try you for the purpose of your development because God knows that you will only experience true righteousness when you come to the end of yourself. So when you come to the end of yourself, you'll realize, man, I really need him because I'm at the end of myself, but I'm not at the end of my circumstances. So I need something else beyond me. For most of us, our problem isn't a lack of self-confidence. Our problem is that our self-confidence is all too sturdy. In fact, we are more righteous than we think we are. So God pushes us beyond ourselves, and God's plan has a way of pushing us beyond ourselves in order that we might seek Him to find the only help that we can get in that moment. So God will take us where we haven't intended to go in order to produce in us that which we could not achieve on our own. We said that principle earlier. But there's a distinction. God allows things in our life, but God cannot, God will not ever tempt you to sin. He will not woo you to sin or seduce you to sin. He won't attract you to sin. That would be a violation of the very character of God. James says, God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. That would be a horrible violation of his character and his plan. He wouldn't do it. Now maybe you're here and you're thinking, well, I've never accused God of tempting me to sin. Maybe not in those direct words, but when you say things like, if my spouse was just a little bit more understanding, maybe I wouldn't be so irritable. You know, I've, you ever prayed that prayer, men? Like, Lord, she's your daughter. Straighten her out. Adam did. Lord, it's this woman that you have given me. If my children were just a little bit more compliant, I could start my day happy and there wouldn't be so much contention. If my neighbors weren't so hard to get along with, that loud music at 3 o'clock in the morning or fireworks on New Year's Day until 4 in the morning. If my boss, we've all dealt with bad bosses, right? I have. I won't say any. No. <laughs> yeah, you've got to be careful. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, if, it, if my boss just wasn't so unrelenting and demanding. You see, if you look outside of yourself and you point to those circumstances, you're not exactly pointing at God, but you're pointing at God as the fact that He brought those circumstances into your life. So in a subtle way, you're saying, God, if you had done better, I'd be better. If you had given me a better spouse, if you'd given me a better job, if you gave me a better house, better kids, uh, if you'd made, you know, then I could be the person that you've called me to be. I can tell you in many ways, I've, I've blamed God many ways. Many times in those ways. In my experience of 
now 19 years, or really 16 years of pastoring, 19 years and really handling some of the counseling and things with others. Something I wasn't necessarily prepared for again and again when I would deal with, I would always think we're dealing with conflict resolution between people and circumstances. But what I have found over and over and over again is that the struggle is many times anger with God. Subtle ways, like I've struggled because of what God has brought into my life. Why isn't God, you know, I, I've, I've had one person tell me many times in a situation in their marriage, like, well, why isn't God doing something to my spouse to straighten them out? I'm thinking, do you know how many times they've probably prayed that same thing? Is God toying with you? No, He would never do that. We're talking about a holy, righteous God. Loving, gracious God. Faithful to His promises. He would never tempt you with sin. So it leads us to the third question. We look at verse 14 and 15. He says, but... Every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it's finished, bringeth forth death. So the third question that we struggle with sometimes is, well, then why do I keep messing up? Why do I still struggle with sin? I'm a believer. I have the Holy Spirit inside of me. I intend church. I read my Bible. I, I spend time in prayer. What's going on here? Why do I keep struggling? I remember when I was a kid, I would come to the altar, and, and, and you know, I, I'd pray probably the same prayer every week. And I'd get up and I'd say, well, I'm not going to struggle with that sin anymore. And then I'd go back and struggle again. I mean, I've had people that, that man, they're like on fire for the Lord when they get up off the, off the altar. They're ready to go. And then somebody cuts them off getting out of the parking lot. And it's like, are they even saved? I mean, just the instant reaction. Why, why do we still struggle with those things? Well, James says, but every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. So James is helping us understand something that's actually really humbling if you think about this verse. This will humble you if you think about this. James says, it's the evil inside of you that hooks you to the evil outside of you. Your biggest problem stares at you in the mirror every day. My, my, I am more afraid of Mike Kleitz than I am the devil by far. Uh, it's easy to say, well, the devil really put that temptation in front of me. No, I, I put the temptation in front of me. It's hard to accept because we want to believe that we're righteous people who mess up sometimes. Instead of we are fleshly people who the only thing good in us at all is the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to believe that somehow, some way, the biggest problem of our struggle to obey God exists outside of us. And James says, you're lured away by your own desire. So James is doing, what he's doing is just consistent teaching with the Scripture. The heart is discussed in Scripture over 900 times. It's one of the most developed themes in all the Bible. And what the Scripture says is that the heart is deceitfully wicked. It's the control center of the human being. It's the casual core of the person. And a consistent and important principle is what rules your heart will control your words and your action. Often we'll say things like, man, I'm sorry, that just slipped out. And there's some reality to that and some truth to that in that it was right there and it slipped out. The problem isn't that it slipped out. The problem is that we're letting it set right there all that time. If I keep putting uh, water into a bucket, guess what's going to overflow out of it? Water. Whatever's in there is what's going to overflow out. And so we, we think, man, it's problem. the problem is what I said. No, the problem is what I'm thinking. It's my thought life. That's the problem. And as he says there, he says, man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And you can kind of see the, the fishing metaphor that's there. The enticement uh, of a, and the, is the attraction of the bait. Now, I am not a fisherman at all. I don't fish and I don't hunt, except at the Walmart freezer section, okay? Like, I am way too impatient. If I went into the woods, I'd be holding a concert out there. I'd just start singing and I'd start just messing around. I'd, I'd, start, just, I'd start pacing. There's no way I could sit still, especially in freezing cold weather that some of you guys do. I, I just, I can't do it. And so I'll just go to Walmart and get the meat, okay? And as far as fishing, when I would go out and I'd fish, I remember... 
Uh, only time I ever really liked fishing was at like pay lakes where you're like, it's cheating, right? You just, uh, I remember going with my dad one time when I was a kid, I'd throw the line out there, the hook wasn't on there very good, it'd go flying off, it didn't matter, you didn't need any bait, there's so many fish in that stupid thing, they just, it almost like land on them and just hook them. And, uh, but I, I, you know, fishing, I couldn't really do that, but I remember going with my grandpa when I was a kid and, uh, man, it, it just required that patience. I remember going with him and thinking, man, how could a fish possibly be that dumb? Like, look at that thing. It doesn't look like a real worm. It doesn't look like real fish. It, uh, it's just this big clunky thing that's never going to work. And my grandpa would go out there and he'd cast that thing out and he'd say, watch this. And he'd start to wiggle the rod a little bit and all of a sudden this silver thing would take life and you could watch the action when the fish would just was coming around it and you could sometimes see it near the surface of water and finally it would latch on and grab that thing and that was the last thing the fish probably remembered you know it was all of a sudden he's in a fight for his life he was reeled in and the lesson from James is there's a lure that is inside of me and I'm lured away and enticed by my own desire I heard a story a few years ago about and I I wish I'd written this down it was one, a duke from some other country and uh, years ago and this is a true story uh, but he, his brother kind of took power of the land and, and he decided that he was going to, he didn't want to kill his brother, it was his brother, so he didn't want to be known as a cruel leader. And so basically without stealing the power from his brother, he basically held him captive for just a little while and they built this, they had him in a room and they made the doorway just a little bit smaller and his brother was really fat. And I like this story because I was like, I can identify with this. And so... Puts him in this room, they make the door a little bit smaller, and then just say, you can leave anytime you want. But he couldn't fit through the door. And every day, he would have pastries sent up to the room. And he would just set them right inside the door. And the brother got bigger and bigger and bigger. And everybody in the kingdom said, why don't you just let your brother go? And he said, I'm not holding him captive. He can leave anytime he wants. He's only held captive by his own desires. And he by the time he finally broke the door open to where he could get out, the guy's health was so bad he couldn't lead the kingdom anymore anyway because he had just eaten himself into such a, a massive amount of weight. But, you know, all that was just because he couldn't resist the donut. Again, I, I, I understand this, this story. I, I'm not going to lie. The first thing I said when we came into Michigan was like, hey, we're in the right time of the year. There's probably Plinchkeys out right now. I was like... We're in Michigan at the right time. I was very excited about this. I'm looking forward to finding some uh, while I'm here. So if you have recommendations, uh, please let me know after church. And, and I will try every one of the recommendations, okay, uh, while we're here. But, but you know, he, he just, he, he was captive to his own desires. And we think, man, that's stupid. That's us. We're, we're, we're held by our own, we're lured by our own lust. So every time I say something I shouldn't say, every time I do something I shouldn't do, every act of impatience, every act of lust or greed or vengeance or anger, all those reveal not just the struggle that this fallen world is, it reveals the condition of my heart. It's not, well, you know, this world's so wicked, there's temptation everywhere. No, it's, it's, it's me. Like, I have this amazing thing. It's called a power button on my TV remote. The temptation that's there on TV, and we go, oh, this junk that's on television today. I can hit this little red button on my remote, and it turns it off. Some of you are like, you didn't know that. Your TV's been on for 13 years straight. You didn't know how to turn that thing off. So why do I still sin? Because there's still flesh inside of here. I want things when I want them. And sometimes we want them in ways that we shouldn't want them. We crave what we should not crave. We would rather win an argument than have peace and unity. We'd rather indulge in appetites than live in a healthy, godly way. We'd rather fill our life with material possessions and more material possessions than we actually need than to live after a pursuit of God's kingdom. So what's my biggest problem? Me. The thing I need to be protected from is me. And the thing you need to be protected from is you. So notice the warning. There's a chain here of when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. Sin bringeth forth, uh, when it's finished, bringeth forth death. 
Sin never gives life. It's destructive from beginning to end. So is it worth it to obey? Yes, there's an eternity. Is God toying with you? He would never do that. This is a holy, righteous, trustworthy God. Why do you still sin? Because there's still within you a desire that is not in accordance to God's will. Until the day you die, you're going to struggle with that flesh. You're going to struggle with His way. You're going to struggle with His plan. There's some that say, man, I'm really struggling with sin. I'm, I don't worry about people who struggle with sin. I worry about people who just enjoy every moment of it. And they've quit struggling. They've just decided, well, hey, I'm just going to use I'm human as an excuse to indulge in sin instead of I'm saved as an excuse to obey God. So where does it lead us? First night of a revival. This isn't a pep rally, we're all awesome, let's, let's just enjoy the, the time and, and praise the Lord type thing. No, I'm, I start out the revival by saying, you're your biggest problem. Probably not the nicest message to normally start a meeting with. So where does it lead us? Well, I can tell you where it should lead us. It should lead us to our knees to once again say, Lord, we are in desperate need of help. Lord, the things that should be important aren't always important to me. Lord, I sometimes blame you for my weaknesses. I fall in the, into the delusion of my own righteousness. We need to say, I need your grace as much tomorrow morning as I did the day I got saved. Help me in my struggle not to run away from you, but for my struggle to lead me to run to you. I've always tried to tell our people, I try to tell my family, my kids, I try to tell myself this, that I'm either just getting out of a struggle, I'm in the struggle, I'm getting ready to walk right into one. Why? Because life is hard, and it's hard for everybody. Don't look at your life and say, well, why is my life hard? Life's hard for everybody. Why? Because if life was easy, we wouldn't realize how much we need God. Remember the old song that, Lord, if you moved every mountain, I might forget to pray. Like if, if the trials weren't there, I might forget how much I need you. Yes, it will be great when I get to heaven and there's no more pain and no more tears and no more sorrow and no more death. And I can see him face to face. And the tempter's not there and the flesh isn't there. And all that of eternity that we get to enjoy. But right now, we're not there yet. And so we're going to struggle, but the struggle must cause us to run to him, not from him. The alarm went off, so I got to close. So, nah, I was going to close anyway, so it was great timing, but... Let's think about that tonight as we start this revival. Lord, let us run to you, not from you, not blame you, but thank you that in a sin-filled world, you're the cure. You're the cure. And you're just drawing us and bringing us to that point where you can develop that steadfastness in us. And I'm not saying this about everybody here, because, and I know jobs take things, people away, and there are some people that have, had, that have passed on not since the 19 years ago when I was here. But man, I praise the Lord that there's some familiar faces here. I'm thankful for that steadfastness. There are some that I know that aren't here, but they're still steadfast. They're living in other parts of the country uh, serving the Lord. And steadfastness is something that over the years you just learn to value and say, I'm thankful for people who continue to serve the Lord. But you know what? You're going to go in the next year, you're going to go through some things where the devil's going to say, is it worth it? Is God toying with you? I mean, if you're saved, why would you still struggle this way? Instead of using that as an excuse to walk away from the Lord, use it as an excuse to fall on your knees before Him. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we do come to you tonight so thankful for your word, thankful for the book of James. It just reminds us of our, our need, our weakness, but also reminds us of our great God. Lord, help us to run to you during those times of trials. Lord, help us to fall on our face before you and worship you. And Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand. I, I, I don't know if we're going to sing. Let's just, let's just have her play for right now. I think we're going to uh, play Have Thine Own Way. But as the music plays...
Again, I don't know your heart. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know the struggles that that you're having, but I know you're human just like I am. So I know there's trials there. So right now, I just want to open the invitation up to you to say, without any singing, without anything like that to distract us, let's just fall on our face before God tonight and run to Him. Thank Him for the problem. Yes, thank Him for the struggles. Thank Him for the problems that drive you to Him. Or maybe say, Lord, help me because I know uh, that while I might not be in the middle of that struggle right now, I know I'm probably going to have this again. Lord, help me not to wait so long to learn next time to run to you, but help me to run to you initially right away during those times. If God's spoken to your heart tonight, or maybe you've just got a burden, or maybe you've got a burden for someone else who's in a struggle, then tonight I invite you to find your place at this altar and do business with him.